usually real estate professional status would be for somebody who's either stay at home part-time or you may work 20 hours as a software engineer but if you do 21 hours a week managing your portfolio of five rental properties then you absolutely qualify and can take advantage of some of these tax deductions. This is the naked truth about real estate investing. Your host, Javier, has already been through all the brain damage of this business, so you don't have to go through it. That way, you're not exposed to all of the risk of losing your shirt or getting caught with your pants down. So let's dive into another no BS episode right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show, to the naked truth about real estate investing and Today, we got a special guest. We're going to talk about cost segregation or cost seg. I believe this is the first time I have someone with this background on the podcast. And as you hear me talk about getting tax breaks, tax savings, if you qualify for some of these tax incentives, you're able to pay less taxes up to no taxes. But we're going to kind of do a deeper dive just with our guest. He is with a cost segregation authority, Eric Oliver out of Salt Lake City which I love Salt Lake City, by the way. I was up there about six months ago, then went over there Park City, so I had a great time. Eric, welcome to the show. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Javier. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. As you said, my name is Eric Oliver. I'm with a company called Cost Segregation Authority, and we really work with CPA and investors across the country, helping reduce tax liability through cost segregation, and then we also do some energy credits for both commercial and residential units. So my background, my degree is in accounting. Obviously, I went to college. I'm trying to figure out how I can get out of college as quickly as possible. Math always came easy to me. Hated writing papers. So I'm like, listen, it's either an accounting degree or a finance degree. So I got my degree in accounting. Never really used it until about seven years ago when I got into cost segregation. At the time, didn't know much about it. Was interested in real estate. Came across the job and never looked back. I love what I do. I love working with investors on trying to save money through taxes. Sometimes as investors, we think, how do I add more doors to my portfolio? And we lose focus of playing defense and saving tax dollars, I guess you can say, to use a bad sports analogy. But we work with people who can double their income just by having a tax strategy in place. And so that's kind of my background. All right, perfect. So why don't you just give me, as simply as you can, what is a cost segregation study? Sure. So cost segregation, it really is just accelerated depreciation on real estate. So one of the benefits of owning real estate is the IRS allows us to depreciate that real estate over a certain amount of time. So usually for commercial properties, it's 39 years. Residential properties, it's 27 and a half. And I should clarify, in the tax world, residential means anywhere where somebody lives. So even if it's a 20-story apartment building, that's still considered residential for tax purposes. So Residential, like I said, gets depreciated over 27 and a half years, commercial over 39 years. So just to make the math easy, let's say you buy a $390,000 office space. Essentially, you're going to get a $10,000 write-off every year. You take the $390,000, divide it by 39 years. That gives you a $10,000 write-off every year. Now, I've kind of oversimplified that. Land is non-depreciable. You don't get to depreciate the land. So you always have to back the land value out. But Just for demonstration purposes, you have a $390,000 office space, you divide up by 39 years, you get a $10,000 write-off every year. Problem is, Javier, I may not own that office space for 39 years. I want my deductions now. I don't want to wait to take an even deduction, 139th over the next 39 years. And Because I want my deductions now, I can complete a cost segregation study, which goes into that office space or that residential space 
and identifies short-term assets that the IRS has determined can be depreciated over a faster, useful life. For example, carpet here doesn't depreciate over 39 years. Carpet depreciates over five. The parking lot outside depreciates over 15 years, not 39 years. And so a cost segregation study comes in, identifies those short-term assets, put a value to those short-term assets, and then our deliverable back to you and your tax preparer is a revised depreciation schedule that says, here's that $390,000 office space, but we've just broken it up into different categories, which allows you to depreciate it at a faster rate. So basically, like you said, a parking lot can be 15 years, right? Carpet can be five years. So you can take a pretty big bonus on year one, right? So instead of being able to take 10 grand on year one, what would you say a rule of thumb would be? Yeah. So typically we usually segregate around 30%. 30%? Yeah. yeah. So let's say you have a million dollar asset. We're going to identify about 300,000 that can be reclassified into shorter asset lives. Now that 300,000 in the old world would get spread out over either five, seven or 15, depending on what asset we were talking about. But 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, Donald Trump was our president. Donald Trump obviously owns a lot of real estate. And so when the tax code was revised, bonus depreciation really came into play. Now, bonus depreciation had been around before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act really put it on steroids. And so bonus depreciation allows you, instead of taking your five-year assets over five years, it allows you to take 100% of those five-year assets all in the first year. And that's called 100% bonus depreciation. So any assets placed into service between 927 of 17 and 1231 of 2022 are eligible for that 100% bonus. Starting here in 2023, it drops down to 80%. So again, if I determine that there's $100,000 worth of five-year assets in your office building, I would get 80,000 of that or 80% of that 100,000 as a write-off in year one the other remaining 20% spreads out over the next four years of the useful five-year life. And so bonus depreciation, again, has really put cost segregation on steroids, and it's really opened up cost segregation to a lot smaller investor. Before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, before bonus, I would say that you had to have an asset that was anywhere from five hundred dollars to $750,000 of depreciable basis in order for it to make sense financially. But now with bonus appreciation and just the pure competition in our industry, prices have come down, benefits have gone up. And so now we do everything from single family rental home up to ski resorts. It doesn't have to be a huge commercial property to benefit from cost segregation. You take a $275,000 single family home, we segregate 30% of that. That's a $75,000 write-off or more. And if you're getting a $75,000 write-off and you're in a 30% tax bracket, that's twenty-five, $28,000 of tax savings. And a study might cost you $3,000 on that. So, you know, you're paying three, but saving 30, that's a pretty good return on your investment. Yeah, that was a great follow-up. Do you need to go buy a commercial property, right? A million dollar, $5 million, $10 million to qualify for the cost segregation or for those folks who are buying single family. And you gave that perfect example, if it's 275000 you could potentially save 70000 ish or just be a write-off. And it depends on your tax bracket. You can save 20, 30, 40 grand. Right. Exactly. Taxes for minimal cost, right? Around $3,000 for the study. Now, I know there's a lot more that goes into it, right? You're able to take depreciation if you qualify for it, things like that. You want to hit that? Yeah. Who, so, who can take the depreciation? 
Sure, cost segregation isn't for everybody. So typically, depreciation is a passive deduction. So I'll give you a real life example. I'm a W-2 employee for cost seg authority. So if I buy a rental property, a long-term rental, a single-family home, rent it out, do a cost seg study, and let's say I generate that $75,000 deduction, I don't get to reduce my taxable income by $75,000 because my income comes through a W-2 or that's my active income. So that $75,000 can be used to offset what they call passive income. So if I have other rental properties on the side of my regular day-to-day job, and they're creating income, that would be passive income. So you've got active income versus passive income. And normally, real estate is considered passive income unless you're a real estate professional or materially participate in the management of those properties. So for example, let's say that I'm a realtor and all I do for my day job is real estate. Then in that case, my commissions and everything that I make in my real estate job I can use the cost seg study to offset that income because in that case, it's active versus active. An active deduction can offset active income. But in my case, where I'm a W-2 employee, I can't use my passive deductions through my real estate to offset my active income. So that's why you see a lot of times high W-2 earners will have their spouse become a real estate professional for tax purposes so that they can then file a joint tax return And in that case, those deductions can be used to offset your W-2 income. So you always want to run this past your CPA first. It's not for everybody. And find out whether you show material participation, whether you file your taxes as a real estate professional. Those are all important questions to determine whether or not you can use these deductions because it's not for everybody all the time. Yeah, Thank you, Eric, for the explanation. Yes. So make sure you contact your CPA, get some legal help. And it's not that complicated, right? It's not like you got to fill out 20 forms and send all kinds of information to become a real estate professional. You ask your CPA and if they don't know what that is, you need a different CPA because if you do real estate and you say, Hey, can I be a real estate professional? They're like, what's that? Okay. Then you might as well switch. Okay. That's my tip to you. Just like you have doctors, right? You got your head doctor, toe doctor, you got your elbow doctors, you got your nose doctors, right? You got everything. And you got to make sure that you are being seen by the right doctor, right? Just same thing with your CPAs out there. Some might be really good at one thing, but not as experience in another. So it's not very hard, everybody out there who's listening to be able to do these cost segregation studies. Just to recap what Eric said, if you have other passive investments, this cost seg can help you with your passive investments if you don't qualify for a real estate professional. But if you qualify as a real estate professional, you have a W-2 income, you have a business that makes a lot of money, then you're able to offset some of those gains on that because you are qualified as a real estate professional. And you can find out what the requirements are. I think it's like 15 hours a week, 750 hours a year. You got to make sure you log it, right? Because the IRS comes, they're going to want to know, okay, what you spend your 15 hours at, right? And what does that include in real estate? Ask your CPA what you can put in there, right? So if you got a few properties, you're going out there, you're meeting contractors, you're doing things like that, you're going to events, you got to figure out what would qualify as those 15 hours. If you're on some webinars, does that qualify? Does that not qualify? And then it has to be one more hour if you have another source of income, I believe. So if you're working somewhere part-time for 20 hours, you should be a real estate professional for 21 hours a week. Yeah, no, that you hit it. It's 750 hours, which is about 14 and a half or 15 hours a week. And then the other test, like you mentioned, is you have to use 51% of your working time doing real estate. So it is hard. If you have a 40-hour a week job, 
the IRS isn't going to believe that you're doing 40 hours a week as a software engineer and then 41 hours as real estate that you're telling the IRS now you're working 81 hours a week every week. That's not going to fly. So usually real estate professional status would be for somebody who's either staying home part-time or you may work 20 hours as a software engineer, but if you do 21 hours a week managing your portfolio of five rental properties, then you absolutely qualify and can take advantage of some of these tax deductions. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's chat about energy credits. So tell me about that. I'm not real familiar with that. So I'm very curious to know what an energy credit on like maybe a single family. I'm not sure if it works on that and on say an apartment building or commercial building. Yeah. So there's really two energy credits that are extremely underutilized. I'll talk about both of them. The first one is called a 179D. It's actually not a credit. It's a deduction. So it's 179D energy deduction. And that is a deduction that you may be eligible for if you are constructing new commercial energy efficient space. So if I build a new office building and I have somebody come in and certify that that office building is energy efficient, I may be eligible for up to $5 per square foot as a deduction for 2023. So if that building meets or exceeds a 50% reduction in energy costs, then I'm eligible for a $5 per square foot deduction. So that, again, comes off your taxable income. To be honest with you, Javier, with the building codes the way they are, most counties are strict with the type of materials and the way things are constructed. It's hard not to qualify. Okay. So if any of the listeners out there are developers or investors who are building new commercial space, definitely look into the 179D. And then for your listeners who are building new residential space, so whether it's single-family homes, duplexes, fourplexes, apartment buildings, there's another program that the government put out called a 45L Energy Credit, and that's a $2,500 credit per unit. So if you build a fourplex, you may be able for a $10,000 credit right off the top of your tax bill if your units qualify as being energy efficient. And so now I do want to state that in order to be eligible for that credit, you need to have basis in the property at the time of construction. So what that means, Javier, is if I'm a developer and I build a bunch of fourplexes and I sell you one of my fourplexes, you're not eligible for the credit. I'm eligible for the credit because I'm the one that determined what types of insulation, windows, lighting, HVAC, et cetera, went into those buildings. So it's usually whoever has the construction loan. So it does work, though, if you are an investor and you say, hey, Eric, I want to hire you as the general contractor to build my fourplex, but you take the loan out, then you would be eligible in that scenario for the credit. So it's whoever takes the construction loan out, whoever has basis in the property at the time of construction, you have to have a third party come in in either program. You have a third party come in, they certify it, they look over it, determine that it is energy efficient, they issue certificates, and those certificates allow you to take those credits or deductions on your tax return. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. I've heard a little bit about it, but I wasn't sure exactly what it was. But yeah, this definitely explains it a little bit better. Just to recap again, guys, the way I do it when I buy a commercial property, if it's a $10 million property, I always do 30%. I'll assume I'll get about 900K. It all depends because you got the land, things like that. Depends on the age, depends on the asset class, things like that. It could be higher. It could be a little bit lower, but if you guesstimate about 30%, you should be around the ballpark. And it'll go down a little bit for 2023 because we don't get a full 100% bonus. So in 2023, just to do some quick napkin math, if you have a million-dollar asset, we'll segregate 30%. So that would be a $300,000 of segregated assets. And then you would get 80% of that 300000 So you'd get 240000 as a deduction in year one. 
The other 60,000 will be spread out over the next five, seven, or 15 years. All right. So let's talk about something that a lot of people don't talk about. A lot of people have the misconception like, oh, I saved myself 240 grand this year in taxes and that's it. That's awesome. So what happens? You buy a property for a million bucks. You do the cost seg right today and you only get 80% of that, right? Which is 240. And then you sell it next year, right? So let's talk about recapture. Yeah. So that's a question we get asked quite often from investors and CPAs, tax preparers is, Eric, isn't this just a timing issue? If I take these deductions now, doesn't that just mean I have a larger capital gain when I sell the asset? And the answer is no. And the whole idea is we're taking our deduction today against our ordinary income. So let's say I'm in a 37% tax bracket and I pay 5% state tax. So that puts me at 42. I'll take my deduction today at 42%. I'll pay it back next year if I sell it next year at 20% and save the spread. And I'm not even paying it all back. And I'll kind of back into an example, Javier, because I think it makes more sense. But let's say I buy a property today for a million bucks and I sell it five years later for two million. Okay. So it doubles in value over those five years. When I go to settle up with the IRS, they're going to say everything you bought has doubled in value and we're going to charge you tax on that. Well, the land has doubled in value. The walls have doubled in value. But my dirty, nasty carpet that's five years old isn't worth double what I paid for it. But if you don't do a cost sake study and you just have one asset, it's just one asset on the books, just this big 39-year asset with everything included. And I tell the IRS that, hey, that big asset has doubled. There's no other way for them to treat it other than to tax me on all that. What should happen, we mentioned carpet's a five-year asset. What's your carpet worth in this example where you've owned the building for five years? What's the book value? Zero. It has no book value. It's fully depreciated, right? So why are you selling this dirty, nasty carpet that's all stained for double what you paid for it five years ago? You should be selling it for zero and paying no tax on it. But what happens when you don't do a cost seg, like I said, everything's grouped together. So you end up paying tax on that dirty carpet and you shouldn't. So the ability to allocate the sales price to the right buckets or right assets, when you do a cost seg study, that creates a permanent tax savings upon sale. So again, in summary, take your deduction at a high rate, pay it back at a lower rate on a lesser amount and at a future date and save the spread. And that's really what we're doing with cost segregation. Okay. So just to make it simple, if I take a $240,000 bonus depreciation this year, right? And let's say we do sell it in five years, most likely I'm not going to have a $240,000 recapture saying I got to pay all the 240. Right? No. So let's assume that we have the parking lot, right? Say it was $100,000 and we did a bonus depreciation and we got, let's just say we got 30 grand. Well, then five years from now, when you sell that asset, right? You got to take that 30 grand off, right? So now maybe that parking lot, it's not worth that hundred anymore. Right. You should not get credit for it. Like you're making a hundred thousand on that or whatever value because you do have that five years that you used it and it got used. Right. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. This is a great example because I think a lot of people don't know the recapture. So the sooner you do a turn, the quicker you do it. I'm assuming the higher the recapture. If you hold it for three or five years, your recapture will be a lot less. And then you are kicking the can down the road, but your money's worth more now today than it will be in five years. Right. So. Or it's worth more now than when I pass away and don't need a use for it, right? So a lot of investors will buy a property, do a cost segregation, take those deductions, then 1031 exchange, do another cost seg, 1031 exchange, do another cost seg, and then die. Unfortunately, we all die at some point. And then I pass that properties, those properties onto my estate. They get a step up in basis and pay no tax. And so you kick the can, kick the can, kick the can, die. 
And then your heirs or your estate gets those properties. They get a step up in basis. So no one ends up paying tax on the gain on those assets. So definitely worth looking into. That was a great tax planning strategy for creating long-term wealth. Yeah, that's awesome, Eric. How can people get a hold of you? Good question. So the best place to get a hold of me, I am on LinkedIn. It's just Eric with a K, E-R-I-K. Last name is Oliver, O-L-I-V-E-R. You can reach me directly there or our company website, which is just www.costcostsegseggauthority.com. My contact information is there. Or if you have a building that you think might qualify or you want us to run some initial numbers, we do a free analysis at our company. Most cost companies do a free analysis, but always get a free analysis done. That analysis will give you an idea of what your expected tax savings would be, as well as what our fee would be to conduct those studies. And then you can decide with the help of your CPA or your tax preparer whether it makes sense to move forward. So you can also find that on our website as well. Yeah, that's awesome because somebody can be looking at something and be like, okay, great. Let me see where my tax bill is. How much can I pay for this? I'm going to save this much money. And you can get a ballpark figure. What does somebody need to send you right, to do that free cost analysis? Yeah. So if it's on a property you haven't purchased yet, you can just send us the listing because that listing will have the address, purchase price, et cetera. If you've already purchased it, then we would just need a copy of the closing statement. And if you've purchased it in a prior year, meaning you've already filed a tax return since you purchased it. So let's say you bought something in 2020 and you wanted to do a cost sake study this year, you can actually go back, do the cost sake study, take all that missed depreciation you should have taken in 20 and 21, put it on your current return without filing an amended return, which is great. In that case, we would just need a copy of your depreciation schedule. So either a depreciation schedule, a closing statement, or a listing would be enough information for us to run that initial analysis. Oh, that's great. And I just, as you mentioned, not having to do an amendment to your taxes. So if I take $300,000 this year on a cost seg and say my income was 200 grand, I have 100,000 left over, do I lose that? No, the great news is, is you just carry it forward. So you don't ever lose it. It carries forward indefinitely until you use it all up. So that's awesome. Yeah, you don't ever lose it. Eric, thank you so much for that. And with this, we'll transition to my favorite part of the show. So did you tell me that you studied finance or accounting? You got accounting, right? Accounting, yeah. Some people say folks that do accounting don't have a sense of humor. So I don't believe <laughs> I, I don't believe it either. All right. So this is called the naked truth about real estate investing. And what I'm going to do here is got nothing to do with real estate. I'm just going to ask you three random questions. And okay. you're going to put that myth to rest. Okay, Eric. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's go here. First question on the Naked Truth Roulette for Eric. What is your favorite quote? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know that it's a quote. I don't know where I heard it. I'm sure someone's quoted it. Know what you're good at and stay in your lane. Meaning I had to learn this the hard way that I'm not a marketing person. I don't have any artistic ability and I should not be creating marketing content <laughs> because that is not my strength. And so I had to learn that the hard way throughout my business career is just know your strength and stick to it and don't be frugal and don't be afraid to hire experts in other areas that you're not good at. All right. Question number two, pineapple on pizza. Ooh, I like pineapple on pizza, but I know the correct answer to that is pineapple does not belong on pizza. I lived in New York for a number of years. And if you go into a Italian restaurant in New York and ask for pineapple on your pizza, they'll kindly ask you to leave. So I know the correct answer is pineapple does not belong on pizza, but I happen to like pineapple on pizza. All right. So true story. Last year, we were in Europe and at the hotel, the kids were hungry. It was hot, man. It was like 105 degrees during that heat wave. So we were just like, okay, let's stay in from like one to four while the sun is killing everybody. And so they sold her some pizza. And when I was looking at the website, it said down there, we will not take your order if you ask for pineapple on your pizza, something like that. It was like, what? I had never seen that. 
That was crazy. Like, I'm going to call, just ask for pineapple. Anyways, <laughs> it was funny. All right, great. Last question for Eric. All right, what is your favorite food? Oh, these are good. All food related. You can obviously tell by looking wow. at me. I like to eat oh, a lot of food. So. All three were food related. That's awesome. <laughs> Back to pizza. My favorite food is pizza, actually. So New York pizza, though. Like I said, I lived in New York for a number of years, and New York pizza is just different. Even places where I live. I live in Salt Lake now. There's a lot of places that say New York-style pizza, but I've heard it's something in the water in New York because they have great bagels, great pizza, but New York pizza is definitely my favorite food. All right. So what is New York-style pizza? What exactly is that? It's just thinner, bigger slices. You fold it in half. Like a taco. Yes, you do. You fold it in half and... So it's thinner. I think it's the cheese. I mean, it's just mozzarella, but I don't know. The mozzarella tastes different. The crust tastes different. As the kids say, just different than regular pizza. So, <laughs> Well, it's been a while since I've been to New York. I'm going to try some New York pizza. I was in Chicago, and we had our first deep dish pizza. That thing was like, oh, my gosh. That's good pizza, too. Chicago's got great pizzas. It was great. So now I got to go. It's Have a pizza. you not had New York pizza? Oh, it's just been such a long time. I don't remember no more. <laughs> He's leaving that long. So, Eric, you survived the naked truth. Thanks for being a good sport answering these questions. Sure. All right. Anything you'd like to say before we end the show? No, I think you actually hit it on the head. It's funny you use this similar analogy that I typically use is CPAs are your general practitioners. They know a whole lot of different subjects, but just like you wouldn't go to your general practitioner or your family doctor to get heart surgery. You probably shouldn't go to your run-of-the-mill CPA for your real estate needs. And so make sure, just as listeners, since I've been in this industry, I've seen people leave so much tax dollars on the table by not having a CPA or tax preparer who understands real estate investing. And so for your listeners out there, if you guys take anything away from the last 20 to 25 minutes, make sure that you find yourself a good CPA who understands and they're going to cost money. You're not going to be able to go to H&R Block at Walmart or TurboTax and do these taxes yourself. Pay the money that the CPA requires. Get a good CPA because you'll save tenfold whatever you pay in terms of tax savings when you get a good CPA who understands real estate. So I'll leave it with that. Awesome, Eric. That's really good advice. Appreciate you being on the show. Cost Segregation Authority, Eric Oliver, thank you so much. We'll put all your contact links in the show notes. Okay. I'm Javier Tejo. Don't lose your shirt. Just as promised, I like to give out free stuff, some tools and tips that's actually helped me in my business. There's nothing out there like getting some free stuff that people have spent a lot of time and energy in putting together. It's like a referral. Somebody asked me for an electrician. You don't know what kind of brain damage I had to go through to give you this good referral for an electrician. You got to appreciate referrals from people, okay? Because they went through a lot to find that one good person. So I'm going to give you my due diligence template for buying apartment buildings. It's attached to monday.com. It is an affiliate link, so they're going to send me a kickback. Not a lot, but a little bit. But you can either download it as an Excel or you can put it on monday.com. Monday.com is pretty cool because it's a project management platform software. It's super cool. I use it all the time for my social media, for my team, tracking deals, doing tasks for everybody. It's, uh, it's actually pretty good. You can track construction. It's a project management platform. It's really cool. Monday, like the day, monday.com. So my due diligence checklist is there for free for you. This has been The Naked Truth. Our mission is to give it to you raw. If you got value from this episode, you're invited to leave an honest written review and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.